Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I've seen this claim. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if there's, if this has ever been argued by any scholars, but I've seen some folks try to argue that Thomas is Jesus's twin. Okay, well, that would change the uh, the, the nativity stories a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now we have to hire uh, Danny DeVito to play Didymus. <laughs> And we'll have them say, your, your back looks like a relief map of the Andes. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Dan McClellan. And I'm Dan Beecher. And you are listening to the Data Over Dogma podcast, where we try to increase the public's access to the academic study of the Bible and religion and combat the spread of misinformation about the same, which unfortunately seems always to be increasing. How are we doing today, Dan? <laughs> doing okay. Uh, I, I am doing my best not to increase the misinformation, <laughs> though I'm not, you know, I'm a very bear of very little brain. It's not like I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to do it sometimes just by accident. It's just bound to happen. Well, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> who of us is is innocent of every now and then spreading a little misinformation? Um, yes, indeed. There is a lot of it online these days, though. Uh, and in today's episode, I understand we're going to be just full of questions. We got uh, we got a whole lot of questions. It is an apostolic episode. Uh, we are going to be talking about apostles left and right, uh, even epistles about apostles so yep. uh it's uh it's a it's a good time um but to start us off i look here's what happened i was doing some research for one of our segments and i went down a rabbit hole and almost didn't make it back out <laughs> so i messaged you and i was like uh, you need to help me out with this i don't know what's going on so Let's jump into our segment, McClellan nine one one. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well, I guess I guess uh, my our uh, audio of choice, mine anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the segment. All righty, what are we talking about, Dan? What is your emergency? Okay, here's the thing. I was looking up what the word apostle meant. And uh, and then I decided to think about, and then I was thinking about apostles, mm -hmm. and uh, the original 12 came up. The 12 apostles, they're very famous. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard of them, but uh, a lot of people have. Yeah. And the thing about them was, I started to ask myself, wait, can I name the 12 apostles? It seems like something I should know. And, you know, I got, I got Peter, James, and John or Matthew and Mark and Luke. And I don't, I, I don't know who was an apostle. I literally suddenly realized like, who's at that last supper. I don't know. You know, I, I knew Judas was one. Uh, and then when I really racked my brains, I came up with, you know, Mr. Doubting Thomas. Mm -hmm. And then I got so confused. So I went and looked it up thinking this is a thing 
that will just have an easy list yeah. of names. Yeah. One would imagine the way people talk about the 12 apostles, it seems like it's a, just a, a simple datum. Here they are. Yeah. There's 12 dudes. How hard could that possibly be? <laughs> and then I go to Wikipedia and there's a grid. There's a gr- there's like graphics and like I, I I was blown away. Now I know that I've been confused before by things like name changes, mm-hmm. uh, at which happen way too frequently in the Bible for my comfort, for my personal <laughs> comfort. Yeah, you know we've talked about we we talked about Abraham becoming Abraham. We we talk you know there's there's uh. Uh, Jacob, Jacob becomes Israel. Becomes Even Israel. God's name changes. You have God introducing themselves to Moses and saying, "Look, they all knew me by this name. They didn't know me by this other name, but I'm letting you know my actual name is this." And then you go look at those other texts, and it's like that name's in there too. So, <laughs> yeah, even God's name is not safe. Uh, they're getting changed up. Yeah, and the other thing that I want to talk... So, okay, so we've got some names that are changing. Mm-hmm. We've got some names that are confusing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that I'm pretty sure that none of the names that I know are the original, like, Aramaic names of these guys. Yeah, th- and this is something I get asked all the time. Did people running around this area 2,000 years ago really have j- names like John and, and Matt? Andrew. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and- and there's some confusion going on uh, regarding how we get the pronunciations of the names as we have them today. Okay. So, so yeah, I, lots of fun. I'm wondering, let, let's start with just a few confusing things from the grid of apostles. All right. Hit me. Uh, one of the first things is that I have never known, I have heard the name Simon, mm-hmm. I have heard the name Peter, I have heard the name Simon Peter. I don't know. Are these three different guys? Are they the same guy? I don't know who we're talking about. Yeah. So <clears throat> we've got the name Simon, which is a Greek transliteration of uh, Shimon, which okay. is uh, an older Hebrew name. And so there's nothing too also prob- Also a frequent uh, thing that Michael Jackson would interject. <laughs> yeah, which is a great interpretive key to um, interpreting his lyrics. So Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> But we have uh, Simon also referred to as Peter in the text, and this is a name that Jesus was supposed to have given to Simon. Uh, and in the Gospel of John, it's it's Kephas, which would be a transliteration of the Aramaic word for rock, which is what Petros uh, would be related to, rock of some kind. Some people try to read a lot more significance into the name than probably was there. Oh, it means a little itty bitty rock. Oh, it means a bedrock. Oh, it means a boulder. It, you know, I don't think it's quite so uh, so granular uh, okay. what's going on there. But yeah, Simon Peter is uh, an individual who seems to have two names. Now, there was a tradition, uh, evidently, I, I have not plumbed the depths of the data regarding this notion that uh, anciently they would have their traditional Aramaic slash Hebrew name and would also adopt a, a Greco-Roman name, kind of like how when folks come here from parts of Asia, they'll adopt, you know, they'll be like, my name's Sarah. It's like, right. Um, and, you know, they've got another name that uh, most people would just have a rough time pronouncing. And so they will adopt uh, an anglicized name of some kind. So there's 
conventional wisdom says that was going on back then. So Simon uh, is already a Greek transliteration of um, an Aramaic slash Hebrew name, and Kephas slash Peter would be the same. So it doesn't seem like that's fitting in with that tradition. And there's actually an argument to make that uh, that these may have been two different people, that uh, Simon and Kephas were separate people. I think Bart Ehrman published an article a long time ago talking about how many early Christians understood them to be two different people. Um, And so it's a little confusing when you look across the four different gospels and then into the book of Acts because they're referred to in different ways. So um, in Matthew, it's Simon, also known as Peter, in uh, the other um, synoptic gospels. So uh, Mark and Luke, it's uh, Simon, whom he named Peter, and then in John, you've got uh, Simon Kephas, which is translated Peter. In Acts, he's referred to as Peter. It's almost like there's kind of a chronological trajectory. Starts off as Simon, and then by the end of the first century, he's completely Peter, which <laughs> suggests that there's ju- they're wrestling with what to do here, and you just have different texts approaching it in different ways, which could indicate they were two different people and their identities were just merged. It could indicate that they... that you know, he used his own name inconsistently and they were just trying to figure out a way to make sense of it. But um, we don't really know for sure. I'm going to go back to something because okay. I, I, I think I understood what you were saying. But so Peter, that's a transliteration of uh, of a, a Aramaic. That comes slash... from, well, that, that's a, the Greek word, uh, Petros. Petros. Uh, right. Okay. And if John is correct... Jesus gave gave him the name Kephas, and so Petros is just a transliterate, or excuse me, Kephas is a translation of Petros, and so translation from Greek to Greek. <clears throat> no, Kephas would be Aramaic. Oh, Kephas and is so, the Aramaic. Yeah. Okay. So, so Got in it. John, we have the story that Jesus gave him the name Kephas, and then if you translate Kephas from Aramaic into Greek, you get Petros. And then okay. in English, that is transliterated as Peter. <laughs> so, um, so so Simon is a transliteration. Peter is a potential translation of Kephas. If if John is to be believed. If Okay. All right. Yeah. Fine. You know what? I'm done with Simon. Si- but, <laughs> but he was also called Simon Peter, right? Yeah. We have uh, in John the, the double name. Okay. Um. Then there's also, I don't want to confuse things too much, but one of the other apostles is also Simon. Am I right yes. about that? That's yeah, there, uh, you can't a, have to, they really. <laughs> this was poor planning on the part of the uh, of of the Savior. I think. <laughs> so here's because there's, the, there's doubles of a couple of names. Yeah. So Simon is not the, this other Simon who is one of the original twelve, ostensibly is not mentioned in the Gospel of John, because John nowhere says, here are the 12 apostles. He just kind of, he mentions them randomly, but he does not give a list of them like the other uh, Gospels do. And okay. when the other Gospels mention this other Simon, they they tag on some kind of identifier. They call him the Zealot. They call him the Canaanite. Uh, Mark calls him the Canaanian or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, Luke and Acts call him uh, the zealot to distinguish him from uh, Simon Peter and John just doesn't is worried about it I like I like the zealot you know it's like a version of uh, this is Jeremy a and Jeremy M when you're in school or whatever but they're they're just adding I, I think the zealot is a much if you are an elementary school teacher 
and you have two Johns or whatever in your in your class, name one of them the Zealot. It's much better than <laughs> yeah. than just giving their last initial. Well, that's what we could do. We could be Mac and the Zealot or something like that. There you go. Oh, that, I don't. Uh... I don't think I'm the Zealot. Between the two of us, I think the atheist is probably not the Zealot among us. But Beecher and the Zealot. I don't know that you're a Zealot either. So I think zealotry is actually uh, is. But you're right. I, how did I not think of the fact that we are two Daniels? Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, speaking of two names, mm-hmm. uh, we got two Jameses. We got, yes, two Jameses. Uh, so there's James, uh, son of Zebedee, who uh, is the brother of somebody, right? No, wait. <laughs> there's, there's various Zebedee, Zebedeans. Uh, so there's James, and then there's another James, son of Alpheus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, where does, so what, first of all, let's talk about the name James. What's the origin? What's the original name uh, in its in its original language? So James actually comes from uh, Hebrew name Yaakov, Jacob. Okay, um, and <laughs> and um, so if you go look in the Greek, you're actually going to see Yaakobos. Uh, uh, is what the Greek says there. Now, okay, we use James today because that's. <clears throat> that has become conventionalized that particular transliteration and there's there's actually a a we can trace the development of this name through different languages to get us from Jacob to James um and this was uh this was just a side note this was always a complication in translating the book of mormon because you have the book of jacob uh <laughs> and you also have uh, there's uh, you know when you're when you're saying well there's also the epistle of uh, of James in the Bible, and so when you're referring to these, you got to distinguish somehow. But in many languages, they don't distinguish Jacob from James. So right. Um, anyway, that's that's not important here. But um, yeah, Jacob. When you go into to Latin, you get Jacobus, which is which is very close to the Greek. But uh, there are some dialects where you have kind of a nasalization of the B and it's Yakombus, which is how it sounds. And then uh, there are, as that name is used, there are some places where the B drops out and you get Yakomus. And then you go into, uh, and then you get Yakomo, which Mm -hmm. is a name that um, we find in some uh, languages. Uh, and then the, uh, the hard C sound that we have in the, in the, um, or the, uh, the M drops off entirely and the hard C sound will turn to, into like a G or something like that. Uh, Iago is, derives from this, um, this name. And then, so San Diego, contrary to the conventional (laughs) wisdom, um, (laughs) Has nothing to do whale? with a whale, right? <laughs> um, but is Saint James or Saint Jacob, mm-hmm. San Diego? So Diego is also a uh, a variation on this name. Santiago is a variation on this name. Tiago is a variation on this name. And uh, when it gets into uh, English, we have. Uh, James is one of the variations on this. And so I, I forget exactly the path that we have to trace, what countries we have to go through to get from the Latin to the English. Um, but these are just different ways that people pronounce these things based on the conventions that their languages held in their particular region in their particular time. And this is going to have relevance when we talk about how we get from um, Yeshu 
to Jesus. Uh oh. Um, uh -oh. Yeah, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I'm just saying, I'm just going to say that of all of the names that you went through that are versions of this original uh, Yaakov or whatever, what was the original in the Hebrew? Yaakov. Yaakov. Uh, I feel like James is the worst <laughs> of all of, like, that is that you're, you've gone way too far down the road. Let's back it up a few steps, but okay. Yeah. We've got but a couple. We got, we've also got Jaime and um, Jamie, and we got a bunch of different uh, variations that uh, uh, that have, are derived from that as well. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess, but yeah. um, <laughs> but I think it's fascinating. Linguistic. Yeah, it is oh, fascinating. Bit my, um, my and I think Linguistic we can do the same. We can do the same kind of crazy name tree with James James's brother John. Mm-hmm. Which John? What? So, do we know what the original uh, Hebrew slash Aramaic name for that was? Yochanan. Yochanan, which yes. sounds like I am like so. Like I know the German Johannes mm -hmm. uh, is is it would be uh, a a variant of of John. That sounds more like Yochanan than John. Yeah, but I can. But at least I can see a a a thread through all of those better than I can with James. But yeah, there's. There's a thousand different John variants. Yeah, yeah. So when when people are like, "Was there really a dude named John living in Syria, Palestine, two thousand years ago?" and no, they were Yohanan, or if they were using Greek, Yoannis, uh, uh, or something like that. And then that goes into a bunch of different languages. Uh, we have Ian is developed from this. We have Giannis uh, develops from this. Uh, John hundreds of, of different variations. And yeah. in fact, the, uh, this was something I discovered when I was living in England and did a little research on my own last name, McClellan. There are over a hundred different names that derive from the name McClellan. Mine isn't the, my spelling isn't the original spelling by any stretch of the imagination, but we have neighbors, uh, the Gillilands, who uh, their last name is a derivation of McClellan uh, as well. Oh, wow. So the, there are, so many names are related and derived from uh, other names. It's it's so fascinating when you look into it. But uh, I think some people get confused and think because some of these things have relationships like that, that they can just arbitrarily imagine relationships that exist between other words, yeah. um, which is a problem that I am constantly trying to respond to on my social media channels when people are <laughs> like, well, this, like, what did I just hear? Oh, um, demos from democratic. Uh, so I just saw a video 30 minutes ago where somebody was like, that looks like demon. So <laughs> yeah. Democrats are demons. And it's like, okay, so they both come from Greek, but they don't look at all alike in Greek. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, uh, there, there are a lot of, um, a lot of amateur etymologists out there that yeah. should not quit their day job, but should quit being amateur etymologists. Well, or at very least, we should all quit listening to them. <laughs> if, if, yeah. if, they, if they're not going to have, you know, the, uh, the, if they're going to approach this without credentials, at very least, we can all reject whatever it is that they have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to dive into, uh, I'm, I'm just now going to, as a refresher, as a little mm -hmm. palate cleanser, I'm going to say that in the massive grid of, you know, what, who's named what and where they are in the lineup and everything, Philip is delightfully easy. Yeah. Of yeah. all non-controversial. 
Yeah. Everyone he, calls him Philip. No one calls him anything else. No one <laughs> tacks anything onto his name or anything. Just yeah. Philip. You know, he didn't cause any problems. He showed up on time. He did what he was asked to do. And uh and yeah, didn't cause any issues. Do we know what that name was in the uh in the original? Uh in the original it probably has to do with uh Philippos, which uh would be um lover of horses or something like that if I'm oh. if I'm remembering correct correctly um but i didn't <laughs> i haven't looked that one up in a long I did, time I, I didn't expect you to look up all of the all of them uh i will say uh so let's see we've had all of those hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley full money each weekday on motley full money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty, and about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today, and join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode, where I'd like to tell you a story. Bartholomew looks almost as, 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 as clean as Philip until you get to the Gospel of John... Yeah, doesn't mention him. Well, in this thing, it says you know on on the in in my grid here, it says Nathaniel is associated mm-hmm. somehow with Bar- yeah. Bartholomew. So That's not, not Nathaniel is mentioned in the Gospel of John, and so uh-huh. the the algebra here is okay. John mentions a bunch of other people who are mentioned in the Synoptics. Uh-huh. John doesn't ever mention Bartholomew, but he does mention this guy Nathaniel, who's not mentioned in the Synoptics. Uh, Nathaniel must therefore be Bartholomew. <laughs> By the process of elimination, if we assume that they're telling the same story with the same characters, Nathaniel would have to be Bartholomew. Um, there's an argument to make for that. There's an argument to make against that. I don't know for sure. I don't have strong feelings about um, that identification. Okay. But Na- Nathaniel would be um, uh, a good Hebrew name. Uh, God has given or gift of God. So right. Nathaniel in Hebrew would be the same as Theodore in Greek. Oh, gift of God. Okay. So, so that's oh, that would Theodore. be like the okay. Peter Kephas thing. Yeah, that would be a translation yeah. into Greek. So in those the two, the the God part would be the L in Nathaniel mm-hmm. and uh, the Theos in Theo, Theo in Theodore. Is that what we're talking about? Am I am I sounding y- smart yes. at all? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. After Bartholomew slash Nathaniel, uh, we have Thomas, 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 and then Thomas also called Didymus. Didymus, yes, which means twin. 
<laughs> okay. Cute. And there, there are some. Uh, I've seen this claim. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if there's if this has ever been argued by any scholars, but I've seen some folks try to argue that Thomas is Jesus's twin. Um, and I think this may come from a Gnostic text. Oh, interesting. Um, from later on, um, but I have not looked deeply enough into that to have any more information than to say somebody once suggested that uh, they think Thomas was Jesus's twin. Okay, well, that would change the uh, the the nativity stories a lot. <laughs> yeah. If, if that, now yeah. You, I mean, now we have to hire uh, Danny DeVito to play Didymus. <laughs> and we'll have him say, your, your back looks like a relief map of the Andes. Um, <clears throat> well, no, I, I was thinking of uh, Life of Brian when mm. uh, they realize that <laughs> Jesus is actually next door and they come back and take the gifts away from the, the <laughs> right, <laughs> from Brian. <laughs> uh, from Didymus, from yeah, Thomas. So Yeah, Thomas. <clears throat> Thomas is just sitting there like, why is he getting all the attention? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now I, I want to get to Matthew. Yeah. Uh, who is referred to in the Gospel of Matthew as the publican. The publican, yeah. Is this the same Matthew? I mean, are these meant to be the same Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew the publican? So that identification is uh, seems to be made by Papias uh, between 120-130 CE, says, hey, tax collector Matthew, he wrote down sayings of Jesus in Hebrew, and a lot of people think, oh, he's talking about the Gospel of Matthew. But it's not for another 50 to 60 years before anybody identifies this gospel as the gospel according to Matthew. So, and I would also argue that the text as Papias describes it is not our gospel of Matthew. It was definitely not written in Hebrew and it's not a sayings gospel. Um, and so when it was, when we do finally have this identification of the gospel of Matthew as written by Matthew, I would argue that this is based on. Uh, Papias's identification. They're looking for an author and they're like, Papias says Matthew wrote one. This <laughs> one mentions Matthew. This is the only one that actually mentions the calling of Matthew by Jesus as the tax collector. And so they're like, Natch, that one, that one was written by Matthew because the other ones talk about the calling of Levi. Yeah. Not yeah, the calling and, of Matthew. And so in our grid, it says Matthew slash Levi. Yeah. On on the Mark and Luke Gospels. Yeah. So they've just made an association between... These are potentially... These are not the same person, or are they... How are we... Again, a lot of people would say they're they're the same person, and other people would be like, maybe they're not. So, okay. Um, and, and again, not mentioned by John. Not mentioned, which feels a little catty. John not mentioning... <laughs> The yeah. name of another uh, <laughs> author of, of another, or the at least uh, of a of a gospel. Yeah. Um, and then why couldn't he be more like Philip? John would have been happy right? to name him if he was more like Philip. If he could have been more like Philip, or <laughs> or be like Simon Peter, and then just uh, and and get multiple names, get yeah. all the names. <laughs> um. All right. Then we got another James. This is son of Alpheus. Uh, and then uh. Thaddeus, uh, who is also Judas. What the heck? <laughs> Thaddeus or Lebius? Well, we have, yeah, we have uh, 
and this is a textual thing. Some manuscripts say Thaddeus, some manuscripts say Judas, and those the the uh, differences there are probably a product of the fact that some of the other gospels seem to put the name Judas in the place where they're expecting Thaddeus. And so maybe some people made some corrections here or there. So, um, yeah, it's and this, confusing. This, this Judas, so if it's not Thaddeus, in, so in Matthew and Mark, we've got Thaddeus. In Matthew, it says it's Thaddeus or Lebeus, Lebeus mm-hmm. uh, called Judas the Zealot. We've got another Zealot with all this zealotry. Um, then in Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, we've got Judas. It's listed as Judas, quote, son of James. Uh, and then Judas, and then in John, Judas, not Iscariot. Not that one. <laughs> just the <laughs> other one. And then, uh, yeah, so that's, <laughs> I, that's... I can see the author be like, and then Judas, oh, not the Judas I just talked about. This no, was another guy. One. Just not an, that one. Another Judas. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we've got Simon that we already talked about, who's the Canaanite or the Canaanian or the zealot or just not mentioned by John because he's kind of prone to that. Uh, and then and then Judas Iscariot, uh, son of, confusingly, Simon Iscariot, which I, we don't need anymore. According Simons. to John. Yeah. According to John. Yeah. Um, I... I'm just going to read I want to I do want to get to uh the most important name in the New Testament in just a moment. Uh, but I did want to read this uh I I I there's a sentence that I wanted to read from the Wikipedia article that made my head explode. Uh and I just thought I'd share it. You feel uh, that which, nicely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um is it this one? Since the father of both James, son of Alphaeus, and Matthew is named Alphaeus, according to the tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the two bro- were brothers as well. Oh, that's not that's not even that's that's crazy right there. And then there's another one that says, according to the tradition of the Catholic Church, uh, based on the writings of the Apostolic Father Papius, the apostles of James of Al- James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus were brothers and sons of Alphaeus, uh, or Alphaeus, also named Clopas, and his wife, Mary of Clopas, was the sister of the mother of Jesus. <laughs> Mary had a sister named Mary? What's happening? <laughs> Is this, uh, do we have a George Foreman situation here? I, I, like, I had to read that sentence 22 times to figure out what was happening. Make sure you understood it right. Yeah, well, there there have been, you know, when these traditions kind of uh, accrete around specific locations and specific leaders and and specific manuscripts and texts and things like that, they develop their own little ways to deal with a lot of these incongruities. And they don't compare notes with the other guys. They just, you know, we're going to do it our way. <laughs> right. And uh, and sometimes those ways sound more rational than <laughs> uh, than others. And so, yeah, it's... It's uh, it's an issue, um, yeah. but certainly not the biggest issue uh, in all of of biblical interpretation. But no. but certainly one that I think a lot of people overlook, assuming that yeah, there there were twelve apostles and and that's that. But uh, you can you know you can memorize a little song to help you remember the the books of the New Testament in order or something like that. 
largely uncontroversially. But um, the song you got to memorize for this <laughs> kind of goes Some, according somebody, to John and according to Matthew. But then if you don't, and then he's not somebody write this song. song. Yeah. It's going to be twenty four <laughs> verses long. But I want yeah. I want this song to exist. Where it's like Simon, who is Peter, who is Kephas, also known Bible. as Kephas, <laughs> who is not the Simon that's mentioned by John in the other part of this book in the manuscript witness from the third century. Um, yeah, <laughs> I like it. I, somebody's got to write this song and and I'll bet they will. Anyway, uh, let's get quickly, uh, you know, we could probably do a whole segment on the name of Jesus. Just that's because, not his name. <laughs> well, I just want you to. <laughs> that's a good point. I feel like that's you not his got, name. You oh, had I, a lot I can't of, sing. Okay. Sorry. You, you've had a lot of people on your TikTok come after you about that one name. And, yeah. or, and you've also exposed a lot of people who like, claim that they know the original name and there's meaning behind it and all of yeah. this stuff. There's a weird genre of like entrepreneurial bro uh like who just randomly start sharing videos about Jesus's name and where it comes from and obviously not even remotely informed about these things, but for some reason this adds value to their entrepreneurial um, endeavors on social media. I, well, I don't and they understand do this. It. They have this. I mean, you call them a bro. They have this braggadocio about them, where it's like, if you really knew the real name of Jesus, you wouldn't be coming at me with your nonsense. Yeah, I know the real <laughs> name of Jesus, and therefore I'm somehow better. Yeah, yeah. So, so, okay. Doesn't believe any of it either, but wants to right. let you know that I know better than you. So there wasn't a guy walking around in Judea named Jesus. Right. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, back in, uh, in the first century CE. So what did they say? Uh, that's tricky. Uh, we, have, we have to reconstruct what was going on anciently, but... To begin, we go back to the Hebrew Bible and we got this, this um, name that is usually translated as uh, Joshua. Um, Yehoshua uh, is, is how uh, it is used in the, in the Hebrew. <laughs> and this is, um, and it means Adonai saves or Adonai delivers or something like that. Um, and this is Joshua, son of Nun, who takes over after, uh, after Moses. Uh, and at, when we get into the post-exilic period, into the Greco-Roman period, so we're talking about uh, after 500 BCE, between 500 and, and the period of the New Testament, uh, the name seems to change into this Aramaic variant that seems to be spelled, at least in the text, it's, it's spelled Yeshua, uh, and the Greek transliteration as, as we have it seems to be um, Jesus. Now, the transliteration into Jesus or uh, Aesus is how some folks do it. There are different ways to re reconstruct the pronunciation, but that transliteration predates the New Testament, predates the birth of Jesus. It comes from a couple centuries BCE. Oh, interesting. Uh, a transliteration of this Aramaic variant on the name Yehoshua, Joshua. And so we already see what we find in the Greek New Testament in the Septuagint translation, the, the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Um, and so this is just, just like we've been talking about Petros, 
uh, an English transliteration is Peter. Uh, Jesus is uh, a transliteration of however this uh, Aramaic name were pronounced. Now, Jesus walking around in Galilee was not being referred to in a Greek transliteration, was being referred to in Aramaic. And scholars have pointed out that the uh, pronunciation conventions in the Galilee were probably slightly different from what we get in other regions. And one of the things that they've noted is there's a letter called an Ein, which is in this name. And it's kind of a glottal stop. Uh, and so there are indications from uh, not many contemporary texts, but particularly from later rabbinic texts, that the Galileans were known for not really pronouncing their eins very well or just dropping them off entirely. And so if uh, the ein was pronounced anciently in Aramaic, the name Yeshua would have been Yeshua. And then we have this glottal stop. Um, and if the Galileans didn't pronounce that glottal stop or pronounced it poorly, it would have just been Yeshu or Yeshu. So with a short E or a long E at the beginning, right. but that A was probably something that was added later in the manuscripts. Uh, there is a complex linguistic argument for why that is, but in short, uh, I think the scholarship is moving in the direction of suggesting if you were talking to Jesus in Galilee in the early first century CE, he would have referred to himself as Yeshu or Yeshu. Um, so that's probably how his name was pronounced. Uh, when it goes into Greek, we have Yesus. Now, so we still don't have that ah on the end. It's not Yeshu ha or, or anything like that, or um, Yesu ha in, in the Greek transliteration. It's just Yesus or Aesus or, or however you want to reconstruct that pronunciation. And then that goes into Latin as Iesus or something or words to that effect. So the earliest uh, English translations of the Bible actually transliterate straight from the Latin, which is pretty um, cut and dry, I-E-S-U-S, -S. Um, Jesus or Iesus or Iesus. Yeah. It was probably pronounced a bunch of different ways. So the first edition of the King James Version, which by the way, wasn't remotely the first English translation of the Bible, but um, for many years, the King James Version used I-E-S-U-S. Um, and it was not until um, <clears throat> decades later that we get the introduction of the J in the English alphabet. Uh, and some folks argue that the I was being pronounced uh, close to what the J uh, represented in the 17th century. Other folks say, no, this the J kind of altered the way the uh, I was pronounced. But... Mm. Once we get the J, that stands in as the consonantal use of I. So it starts the word, and we're going to use it more as a consonant than as a vowel. So we get Jesus. Right. So it is a natural development within the language. It's it's not like it's a different name. Uh, there right. are some people who are like, oh, Jesus means Hail Zeus, which is absolutely <laughs> laughable. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah. That oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I yeah. love that. So, like, that's not his name. It, that means Hail Zeus. It doesn't mean anything remotely like Hail Zeus. It's right. just a a transliteration that has been following the um, phonetic development of uh, 
of the English language. And so Jesus is a perfectly legitimate transliteration of this, just like James is a perfectly legitimate transliteration of Yaakov right. um, or Jacob. Uh, and so there's no reason to be upset about this. Uh, there are folks who think there is some kind of metaphysical power in how we pronounce the name who are like, you have to say Joshua. Well, that's wrong too. Um, <laughs> oh, you have to say Yeshua. Well, that's also kind of wrong too. So if there's metaphysical power in that, there are very few people who are getting it right. Um, and so I, I think people need to just chill about the name. Jesus is perfectly fine. I think a lot of people are just trying to make them sound make themselves sound uh, better informed than other people to try to prop themselves up, uh, and it has a lot more to do with pride than uh, than being more informed about these things. I am fascinated. You know, I don't want to get too deep into this. Where you know this segment's going long, but I do love <laughs> that. Uh, I, it does seem weird that we don't call him Joshua. It just seems like that as a as a transliteration is so much closer is and it, and has also just as much of a of a of a sort of traditional train. Well, there, there are two reasons for that. I would point out first, Joshua is directly from Yehoshua, which preserves okay. the H O sound, yeah. which is absent from the Aramaic Aramaic variant Yeshu. Okay. So the H-O isn't there in the way Jesus's name was pronounced in the first century. So Joshua would also be inaccurate in that regard. But also, and this is the this is a part that a lot of people get uncomfortable with, Jesus is only attested in Greek texts. And so we are going with what the texts use rather than saying, I'm going to artificially impose what the text should have been using or something okay, like that. Okay, that makes sense. And so uh, Joshua would be saying, eh, we're not going to do what the gospel authors said. We're not going to do what the original text that referred to Jesus said. We're going to go back and say, we're taken from this uh, from this earlier tradition that is not connected to Jesus. So, right. um, and you know, there you can disagree with that. There are, there are folks who will try to use an Aramaic transliteration in their renderings of the text. And I mean, you know, you're not going to get struck by lightning, not by me at least. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, at the same time, yeah, there's there are perfectly good and valid reasons for um, doing it the way folks are doing it. Okay, well, then I will agree to not call Jesus Joshua, but I won't. But I am going to start calling James Jacob because that just seems yeah. <laughs> obvious to me. Yeah. All right, and and well, uh, yeah, that that would be fine. What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I'd like to call redacted history. I believe that all history no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies.
Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, good. Uh, You know, there is another fascinating apostle that we need to get to. So uh, I say we move on to that. Okay, let's do it. Okay, uh, we're we're introducing this new segment, women in the Bible, because I, you know, it's it's something we've already talked about a few times without calling it its own segment, but it is an important thing. Yeah, and uh, we we're taking as our reading for the day Romans sixteen. This is the final uh, chapter of. Uh, St. Paul's epistle mm-hmm. to the Romans. And uh, and it's it's nice. It's just a, he's just calling out to a whole bunch of friends. Hey, say hi to our friends here and our friends there. And Shout uh, out Amplius. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Who's a great guy. Uh, everybody <laughs> loves him. Uh, the family of Narcissus and whatever. Uh, but right in the middle, there is something that has befuddled and, uh, and bedeviled many, uh, a reader of it, which is starts on, which is verse seven, mm-hmm. where he says, greet and dr-. now I, I am taking, I, this is from the, uh, the NRSV. Okay. Um, and that will become important in a minute, uh, because different, uh, translations definitely have a different take on this, uh, on this particular vor- verse. Yeah. Strong feelings about this. Yeah. Uh, so, from the NRSV, greet Andronicus and Unia, my fellow Israelites who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Now, that's there's a lot packed into that one thing, mm-hmm. but I think the the thing that we're going to focus on is that name Unia, and uh. And the idea that this person could have been prominent among the apostles. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is it me? Or is that a lady apostle? So, yes, this, the academic consensus right now, I would argue, um, and I think I'm supported by, by most scholars, is that this name is a feminine name. Uh, now, there has been controversy for some time, but a lot of people might be surprised to hear that this controversy is actually quite new uh, regarding how we uh, <clears throat> uh, how we uh, accentuate this name, because this name could be masculine or feminine with the spelling that we find in the Greek of Romans 16, 7. 
the difference would be what accent you put on what syllable of the word. And oh. unfortunately, they the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, in fact, the manuscripts for centuries after the New Testament was written, did not put in accents. Accents were added centuries later. And so we are basically going with traditional accentuation, or if we want to try to revise that accentuation, that's just based on our own judgment calls. Um, and there is no early Christian author who identifies this name as a masculine name until the 1200s. Oh, wow. And we have uh, several early Christian authors and authorities who make reference to Yunya, um, either just acknowledging that it is a feminine name or actually praising Yunya for being a woman apostle. In fact, there's a, there's a prominent, um, I think, Bishop of Constantinople, if I'm not wrong, um, John Chrysostom, writing uh, just before or around the year 400 CE, basically says, wow, can you imagine this person being how cool this person was to be a woman apostle? Uh, just being an apostle is one thing, but to be a woman apostle, uh, apostle how great she must have been. Uh, and we have no disagreements with this identification of Yunya as a woman until the 13th century. Um, and so the record is not strong for those who are arguing that this is a masculine name. Additionally, if we go look into other occurrences of this name, this name doesn't really appear much in Greek. Primarily, it appears in Latin, but there are over 200 occurrences of this name in Latin in the first century CE, and every single one of them is a feminine name. There's one occurrence in all of known history of this name as a masculine name, and that comes from a century later. Oh, wow. Um, and so. The data do not support the identification of Yunya as a man. The data overwhelmingly support identifying Yunya as a woman. Um, and so it would seem to suggest that Andronicus and Yunya, now usually, frequently when Paul mentions a man and a woman together, they're either relatives of each other, more often they are husband and wife. So some folks suggest that Andronicus and Yunya are uh, husband and wife. That may or may not be the case. I'm not arguing for that right now, but um, I would argue that Union is definitely a, a feminine name. I and did read an article that, that linked them as husband and wife, was absolutely certain of it, and not only was certain that, that they were husband and wife, but literally like kept pounding it home, I, I, <laughs> which I didn't understand. I didn't understand why it was important to that author to make sure that we all understood that this was a couple who was yeah. a husband and wife, but yeah. I mean, there there are certainly situations where where that would be um, that would be more meaningful than than others. But for the context of our discussion right now, I think it suffices to mention that it's certainly possible. It's certainly plausible that that's the case. Um, but it's interesting what Paul says about them. Um, uses this word singenis in uh, Greek, which which kind of mean which means my kin uh, together, and then. Uh, genus is is what the other word is in in Greek. So um, kinsman, family. I think you read fellow Israelites. Is that what yeah. the tradition you read? That's what is that, the NSRV has. Is that the NRSV UE? NRSV. Yeah, the NRSV the, the, UE. Yeah, UE. Okay, okay. that's interesting because because <clears throat> the previous NRSV reads my relatives. 
okay. um, relatives or compatriots. But yeah, the idea is kin. Um, yeah. and, and that's probably figurative, but um, who knows? And then fellow prisoners. Uh, and then it goes on to say they were of note among the apostles or prominent among the apostles. And here's where the folks who don't like the idea of a woman apostle have another opportunity to try to make their case against that. There is another way to read the Greek here, where instead of saying they are <clears throat> prominent among the apostles, is to say they are well known to the apostles. Right. That is a possible reading of the Greek. Um, and there are some people who have argued very strenuously for that reading. And that's that's what uh, the English Standard Version has. They are well what? known to oh, the apostles. Yeah. Well, the ESV was written or, or was is a translation that was executed by complementarians who were basically upset that the NIV and the RSV and the uh, NRSV were not uh, as misogynistic as they felt they should have been. So the ESV <laughs> is um, like, in a lot of ways, it's a perfectly adequate translation. In other ways, it is an awful translation, particularly it's the when he-man comes... woman hater translation. <laughs> yes, in a lot of ways. So <laughs> it's one of the newer translations um, that have come out of uh, of the Bible, and they and it's and it's quite popular. But it, a lot of people don't realize that the purpose of the ESV was to push back against what they saw as too much progressivism with the NIV of all wow. things. So yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> it's uh and and there's a great uh sociologist who works with the sociology of religion named Samuel Perry who has published a wonderful wonderful article discussing how the ESV intentionally tries to structure power directly over and against the interests of women. Um but anyway, getting back to that. So the ESV says they're well known to the apostles. Possible reading of the Greek here. There are a handful of reasons I don't think this makes sense. One is that this is Paul writing Paul was not a huge fan of the other apostles and didn't really care what the other apostles thought. So for, for Paul to say, hey, Andronicus and Unia, these are cool folks, even the other apostles thought they were really cool, is, is out of character for Paul. The estimation of the other apostles is no big deal. For he does not care what the other apostles think. Um, and then the last clause of the verse is they were in Christ before me, which would fit with Paul's rhetorical bent elsewhere of always wanting to remind everybody that he is the last one who gets mm. to be called an apostle, that everyone else who was called an apostle was in Christ before him, and he's the last apostle. Um, so I think the the way that this verse is set up and the way Paul's rhetoric is in the genuine Pauline epistles uh, pretty firmly point in the direction of interpreting that passage to say who are prominent among the apostles. In other words, these are prominent apostles, yeah. uh, which would identify Unia as a woman apostle, which is, you know, despite Paul... Uh, Paul's misogyny elsewhere. Uh, I think he was willing to call balls and strikes when it came to who was occupying what office, what position elsewhere in the church, because he refers to other women as leaders in the church and is not shy about that. So since we're using this word apostle 
Yeah. How are we defining it? What what is the what does that mean here? So you know I don't like defining stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. But, but we're I will using just, the word, so we need yeah, to. Know, I will describe it. Yeah, in some <clears throat> way, what we're talking about. So it comes from a Greek word that means one who is sent, and the idea is messenger, emissary, delegate. Like it's not just somebody sent some person. It's this person is traveling um, on my behalf to execute some function for me, uh, whether it's deliver a message or whether it is actually do something or uh, something like that. So it comes from the idea of one who is sent out. And by the time of the New Testament, though, it, well, around the, because of its use in the New Testament, it takes on status as kind of an office. Right. That this person may have been sent out, but they're not an apostle because that is a specific assignment, a specific designation that kind of is cordoned off, and only certain special people get to be called that kind of messenger. Uh, and so it becomes an office, a, a, a duty, uh, an honorific title um, later on. And and by the time of Paul, then that's what we're um, uh, that's where Paul is is coming in and be like, I'm an apostle, and he gets upset with. Well, not he kind of sarcastically refers to other folks as super apostles. He's like, <laughs> oh, all these people, these super apostles going around doing all this stuff. Um, but but the idea is that this is this is a a special designation, a special calling, a special assignment. Uh, that that somebody has, but yeah, it fundamentally comes from the idea of of uh, emissary, delegate, um, maybe messenger to be an envoy, if you will. Envoy, yeah. I uh, I I saw at least one article looking through this, uh, you know, and when, when I was sort of reading up on Unia, and you know, I wanted to see arguments for and against uh, this person, this woman being considered an apostle, and one mm -hmm. of the things that came up a few times uh, when people wanted to argue that there's no way she could have been an apostle was that the original 12 were, there were specifically 12, they were all men, therefore there should always be 12 and they should always be men. Yeah. <laughs> Is there, I mean, so when you start to talk about this, uh, this word, this appellation becoming a, uh, a, 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 an office mm -hmm. in Jesus's time, because Paul's after Jesus or after his, his life. Uh, what did, is there any indication that in Jesus's time, this was an office that he was designating that there should be 12 of, and that those should be men. Is there anything that you can think of that, that would, that would fill in that, argument or or bolster that argument as far as as uh any data that would support that argument no that's an is ought fallacy they're saying oh this is the way it was therefore this is the way it ought to be the there is the indication in the book of acts in the beginning where they say well judas is gone we need to fill in that office so the idea that they were supposed to be 12 
is found in the book of Acts, which is not from Jesus's day. This is decades okay. after Jesus's death. And so that does not necessarily indicate that Jesus was like, it's got to be 12. But <laughs> um, at least within the decades after Jesus's uh, life, yes, they understood that there should be 12. And 12 is a significant number. Um, it has symbolic weight anciently. It is completion. It is fullness. And so that is supported by the, um, or that supports this notion that they felt there needed to be 12. The notion that it had to be men, there is nothing that supports that apart from this is ought fallacy. Well, they were all men, therefore um, they were supposed to all be men, which is not mentioned in Acts in any way and is undermined by uh, this passage in, in Romans 16, 7. So I don't, I don't think that's um, a good argument. So and also, you know, I don't I don't know how this how this you know the significance of the number twelve works, but it also seems like the need to have twelve could also be the need to have at least twelve. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. Tell you tell me, I, because Andronicus and Junia are not you know they're not listed in. Neither of those are one of the many names that are listed in our original twelve. Yeah, yeah, and and certainly, you know, the the text of Acts says, you know, that office has got to be filled. It doesn't necessarily say it's got to always be twelve. Um, I I would lean a little more in that direction just because of the significance of twelve. Uh, there are. Um, <laughs> uh, Sorry, is I was it a reference go... to the twelve t- tribes of Israel, sort of thing? Well, they, to some degree, the twelve tribes of Israel there was significance to the number twelve. But uh, you know, when you get into the Book of Revelation as well, you've got twelve coming up, uh, particularly in reference to uh, you know the hundred forty-four thousand or twelve thousand from the twelve tribes of Israel. Right, and and twelve is used a handful of places, and seven is another significant number. Uh, and so seven is perfection, 12 is fullness, completeness, stuff like that. And also in the years between, uh, the death of Jesus and, and the writing of Romans, people are dying and, and other people are, are stepping in. I don't know that I know enough about the circumstances to know whether or not we have enough data to say there were never more than 12. I don't know what the what the consensus is in that regard. Uh, I'm sure there are people who know a lot better than me, but but yeah, that's a good question. I have feelings about it. I <laughs> don't know that I could uh, definitively say one way or another. Okay. Well, then we'll leave it at that. Uh, Unia, for, for my money, I love the idea of of a woman apostle. That mm-hmm. that makes me happy. And since that is at least. Uh, arguable if not probable i'm going with it there was a woman apostle and there's a wonderful book by uh, a scholar named um j eldon epp epp or eldon j epp epp is the the last name called unia the first woman apostle um published in 2005 and i think that book uh kind of set the tone for the scholarly consensus so if you'd like more information on this that's a wonderful book to go check out Nice. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Dan. Uh, Listen, friends at home, if you would like to be a part of making this show go, and uh, what we have kind of settled on is that if if you want to hear Dan and I talk more 
about the topics of each of these episodes uh, and and get into it uh, in a much more casual way. You can uh, you, there is patron only content available if you become a patron over on Patreon. Go to Patreon.com/slash/DataOverDogma and uh, and you can join up there at whatever you know amount you want. Uh, and we will be very thankful for your patronage. Uh, if you would like to write to us about anything, contact at dataoverdogmapod.com is the place to do that. And uh, other than that, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.